Hello, Stillwell. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can I'm hear at you. my house. Wow. Hi, hey, hey. Technology. I haven't, this, I haven't been in the studio in so long. So I hope I sound okay. You sound very okay. All right. Are you, you go. are you going to freestyle or not? Um, I don't know if I'm going to freestyle until the end. I might take us out with one. Hello. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, so I am so happy to be back on air. I am sorry I'm not in the studio looking you deeply into your eyeballs, Anthony. But uh, here we are. Welcome to Collaboration Radio at the intersection of art, activism, and social change. And as usual, we were jamming the DJ Lady D. That was me again. That was me. That was me. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But uh, here we are. Ignore yourself talking in the background. Oh, God. Singing in the background. All right. Carly, you... you, 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 um, you sound rested, but you sound like you've been maybe um, fighting with a turkey over there. Um, uh, I have not. I did not fight with the turkey. I did not. I did not. I, I, the turkey and I came to a peaceful truce and I had beef stew. How was your holiday, Anthony? It was great. Except... Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving was so beautiful here in Chicago. You know, it was sunny and gorgeous. And we do a Colombian Thanksgiving, which means we don't really eat till about nine at night. It's more of a disco kind of late night party. Right. And so we decided to take Coda for a walk over at Montrose Beach. And we got over there. It was so beautiful. And uh, Sandra started to run with Coda. And she tripped and she would have face planted, but she fell on Coda. Oh, I hear crackling. Oh no, no, no! I was trying to avoid that. See, I don't know how to do this yet. Yeah, you're in the studio. To, what was that? What was it? Cough drops? You know it was cough drops. Don't choke on a cough drop. Well, I have I can the hear, cats we, here. Your microphone is highly sensitive, so that is the sound of you unwrapping the cough drop. Okay, it, it's done. It's done. It's done now. So, so I, I have to have it on hand. So, oh, so, okay, so Yeah, you got to pre-wrap. So, so Carla, yeah. we're doing a new thing where Carla's remote f- from her home. And, um, and it's very exciting because it means she doesn't have to necessarily do the two-hour commute from the South, South Shore neighborhood to the Jefferson <laughs> Park neighborhood on a Saturday. But we, if, if there are any helicopter sponsors out there looking to spread their message on Collaboration Radio, we would love to be able to get a helicopter ride for Carla up here across the city. But Sandra tripped and her... Thank God her face landed on Coda. But, but she got a little banged up. And then oh, no. I ended up um, getting vertigo like I do every five or ten years. So I was a little spinny. And um, so it was a little wonky uh, Thanksgiving for us. But um, uh, yesterday was wonderful. We did go see Nick Tremulous in the Prodigals Wednesday night at Space at Evanston. He was on the show last week. It was such a great show. I mean, it was like 13-piece 
and everything was just sounded so good and was mixed so well. And these were all masters. It was really cool. And then we went to it's nothing. We went to like live music. No, it is. It's so and when when it when it really sounds good and you can hear everything and yeah. It was nice. And then we went to Rick LaChapelle's surprise 70th birthday party last night. Aww. So that was cool. And um, and here we are. Then, and here we are talking about things that are important in the world. We're going to talk about colonization. Oh, colonizers. Oh, colonizers. <laughs> I have something to tell you about, ask you about that, but uh, I just want to thank everyone for joining us here at Collaboration Radio. We're live on WCPT, 8.20 a.m. on the dial, Chicago's progressive talk radio. And also, we're streaming live on Facebook and WCPT.com, Collaboration's YouTube, where you can catch past episodes, and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We've had 22 shows thus far and uh i can't even believe it this is number 23 and carla's gonna do a little history lesson about O colonizers today and um which is a web series pilot that that carla made uh that we carla wrote and collaboration produced and um you know i i i uh, was doing a interview with a person in the media who i will not name only because uh the article is not out yet and it's uh doesn't need to be announced by me right now, but when I, I was talking about O colonizers and the journalist said to me, Oh, is that is that a play on the Walt Whitman poem? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anything about it, uh, th- that statement? Does that mean anything to you? No, but that is that is truly the most colonized thing I've heard. This well, week. well, listen, I said, I said, uh, you know, in the moment, I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to get into um, me. You know, I didn't. I just lied and said that that was it. And then I went and googled Walt Whitman, O Colonizers, and I found a poem called O Pioneers. Hmm. And it's actually strangely fitting um, about, you know, pioneers conquering, holding, daring, venturing as we go the unknown ways. Pioneers, oh, pioneers, we primeval forest felling fellows. It was really interesting, and I I just think you've tapped into the subconscious of our country here. Would you tell everybody a little bit about um, O Colonizers? And oh, wait, we're we're going to get into that in a second, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to get we're, we're going to get there because I have a I'm about to go on a whole like tangent about the 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 um, the equation to the Walt Whitman poem because it's a thing. It's a thing that people do that they don't even know they do. That's what I want to talk about today: the ways in which colonization have seeped into our psyche so deeply that we don't even know what's happening. Awesome. And you can But hey. But hey. Huh? Oh, and I was going to say people can go watch um O Colonizers the web series pilot at Collaboration's YouTube channel and you can also check out the commercial for Audacity 
which is um, an energy drink when when you need the energy to be real stupid in public. And also Confederate Cellular, when you need five bars when you're storming the Capitol and you want to upload your video content while you're still there to show the world that you are <laughs> felon and a federal criminal. But anyways. Oh, colonizers. <laughs> oh, pioneers. <laughs> oh, pioneers. Uh, we are your hosts today, Carla Stillwell, Anthony Mosley, here on Collaboration Radio, where you will be able to catch us Every Saturday at 4 p.m. And I will be more often because now I have the connection, the virtual connection. And next week, hopefully, I'll be able to I'll be able to figure out how to stream so y'all can see my face, too. Um, And we will be here until um, Hades freezes over or colonization ends. I don't know which is going to come first. But I don't see any of that happening in the future. On this episode, oh, we are going to talk about the history of Karen. We're going to talk about the the 1919, which was a year of race riots, which was crazy. It was race riots all over the country that one year and a bunch of other little things. Yes, we are. Collaboration Radio is sponsored by the Joseph and Bessie Feinberg Foundation and donors and members like you. You can email radio at collaboration.org or go to www.collaboration.org to learn more. Today's episode of Collaboration Radio is sponsored by AV Chicago, Chicago's leading provider of AV production and event management services. Those folks at AV Chicago know how to light it up, mic it up, and turn it up. Clever Action is a 27-year-old nonprofit whose mission is to build knowledge, empathy, dialogue, and action. And we do that through live theater, film, dance, poetry, and radio to leverage the power of storytelling and community to cultivate positive social change. Next week, our guest will be Sandra Delgado, who was our co-host last week. Sandra's a founding company member and a board member, and she's my wife and my life partner. And uh, she, as you may have heard earlier in the show, she tripped and fell on our dog. Thank God. Thank God for Coda. But she, she is also the, one of the best voices in the city. That lady's voice is phenomenal. And she's got a show coming up. At Epiphany Center for the Arts, December 8th, the Sandra Delgado Experience, which is a collaboration House of Belonging event. Learn more at collaboration.org. Go get your tickets. There's some tables that you can get a table if you want to have a, you know, two or four right in the front. And there are some general admission tickets where you can kind of get, have a seat, but also get up and dance. And, um, Epiphany Center for the Arts is a beautiful gothic cathedral, former church, now turned music venue. And uh, we, we're working on some big announcements, folks, and we just can't wait to tell you about them, but we can't tell you about them just yet. But they have to hashtag do... Hashtag ha- growth. Hashtag growth. Hashtag home. Hashtag belonging. 
So if you want diabolical to laugh, yeah, they're yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we we um um we wanted to maybe start today with a with a moment from a past show. Henry, were you able to grab that? Mm-hmm. Did that work? Great. Yes. And um, Carla, where did you want to start that? Um, let's start that at the nine minute mark that you had initially. Um, 930. Te- 9.30. 9.30. 9.30. You want to set it up for everybody? Absolutely. So I have a dear friend who was actually my first native friend um, in my life. And her name is Heather Miller. We met at a conference and just fell in love. And what I fell in love with was her um, dedication to culture and her deep knowledge of uh, Native um, communities around the country. She used to be the executive director of the American Indian Center here in Chicago. She taught me so much. And last year this time, I invited her to come on to our web show and um, talk about the, the mythos around Thanksgiving and all the ways in which we've just learned about that part of history wrong. So um, that's what this little clip is. So let's watch that. And then we'll talk about some of the other stuff we learned that's just wrong. As a Native American person, what is your perspective on this time of year? Great. I'm really happy to start with that question. But before I dive into that, I just want us to start in a little bit of a good way. And um, I'm just going to open with a few words um, in my language and then... um, we're going to also just talk about the the folks that are living in this in this land. So, kwe Henry Jatsi, Yashkinotye, Wanda Ajatute, Hatino no None Runo Ayataratute, Unditatie Ekuyati. And I just said, hi, everyone. My name is Heather. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I am Wyandotte. Um, I am a member of the Bear Clan. And I'm here in Chicago talking to you all today. Chicago is the home of the Council of the Three Fires, our Potawatomi, our Ojibwe, and our Odawa relatives. They were the ones that would have traditionally called this area home. We still have a large, incredibly amazing and diverse Native population here in Chicago who's very active in terms of reliving or um, making sure that their history and their heritage is acknowledged and is practiced every single day. Um, Native people here in the city of Chicago make up one of the largest uh, populations of urban Indians in the entire country. We've got about 100 different tribal nations represented here. And that's pretty incredible when you think about the, like, the, basically the three groups that would have originally called this area home on, on some level and at some point. That's, that's very much changed. And land acknowledgments, real quick, I'm just going to put this little pin in it, should always be a living and growing thing. And as we learn and as we learn more about our history, you know, those land acknowledgments can also change and grow with us. 
But it, it is also really important to recognize that we have a whole history of Native folks that call this place home, that loved and lived and still live and still caretake for, for this amazing land that we live on. So we're going to start you, there. <laughs> Thank you for that. No problem. So now I really appreciate this conversation and I really appreciate this question. I think that even our few little answers that we received um, just at the start show the importance of this conversation just because we've even mixed up our, our Native stories in, in this opening today. So we're talking about, uh, or, you know, in this, in this brief mention of what we learned, we're, we're combining stories from about three different tribal groups and three different times of contact. So let's just, let's just start at the beginning. <laughs> so here's, here's the myth. We'll start there. Um, so the myth of Thanksgiving that we all, I think, kind of know or sort of have an understanding of is commemorating a time in November of 1621. And so we're going to start talking about a group known as the Wampanoags. Um, this was the tribe that was living in the territory that the pilgrims landed in and decided that they wanted to turn into their home. So that's the historical, traditional territory of the Wampanoags. They're the main focus of all of this story. Now, when the Wampanoags um, first encountered, the so Wampanoags were one of the first groups to encounter, con- to encounter um, contact, too. So they've had a lot of experience with, with people coming over and trying to take their land and, and work with, or, you know, not necessarily work with them. Um, so they've got their, their ways established. They've got principles. They've got rituals. They've got things that they do. So we already know the Wampanoags have a long history of being here. The pilgrims come in as we know. And the pilgrims started trying to incorporate some of their traditions here. One of their um, traditions that they brought with them was this time of like a thanks, kind of a giving thanks ritual. Um, For them, it was a very sacred time. It was a time to fast and, you know, really to be quiet and not, not be really active. So it was this very holy, sacred time to the pilgrims. So in, you know, we're talking about this time when the native Wampanoags are still trying to take their homeland, to take control of that, and to make sure that they're, they're still maintaining their way of life. And then you've got the colonists who are trying to take them um, away and to remove them from their way of life. So at the same time, in Wampanoag tradition, there was a big party going on around harvest time this time. And they would organize, they'd bring family together, they would eat, they would have fun, they would party, they'd stay up all night. Um, and one, one historian talks about how they really liked to shoot things. They were really into shooting things. I think this is just hilarious. I can imagine this, like, just a fabulous party where everybody's going crazy, celebrating their um, community, celebrating the great harvest that they had, you know, getting ready for winter, getting prepared for all of these things. And, you know, you've got this other group who's just 
being quiet and silent and probably not enjoying all the shooting and the ruckus and the fun time that was being had next door. So, of course, there are conflicts now happening. And the colonists, you know, the pilgrims, they start to assume that this celebration, this party that's going on, is actually a hostile and aggressive act towards them. And they didn't really like this. So as the fasting continued and, you know, as the colonists continued to multiply and to grow, there were constant um, threats or constant attacks or constant wars. Specifically, in 1637 and 1676, um, these were no, 1676 was known as King's Philip, Philip's War. Uh, these were two specific conflicts between the natives and the pilgrims that really resulted in significant death amongst the native folk um, in the in the area. It's estimated that about 40% of the natives in the area actually died um, in these years during these different conflicts and during these different revolts, you know, by the by the pilgrims. In fact, at one point um, in in uh, during King Philip's War, um, the chief's son, uh, who was who was known as King Philip, um, he he got his head cut off by the colonists, and the colonists kept his head on a stake for about 10 years while it just rotted in front of their camp because they were so angry and so disrespectful to the natives and to their celebration. Um, They wanted that gone so bad that they helped encourage natives not to do it by showing off their kill, by showing off, you know, what they did. So we know that this is already the background of, of what's going on. There was no happy celebration. There was no coming together. There was no, um, uh, there was no no celebrating in in that myth that that we often heard. This was really conflict over conflict over conflict. Then, all of a sudden, um, we speed up to civil war, and the natives have moved out. The natives have died, have disappeared a lot from that area. They've been removed. Things have changed, but in eighteen forty one. Another key element of the Thanksgiving myth is put to put into place. So a reverend named Reverend Alexander Young decided to link three things together. So remember in that 1621 time, um, those pilgrims were celebrating with their fast and their um their time of autumn harvests. So they took that. So our reverend took that concept. He also took that concept of the native Wampanoag celebrating and rejoicing in their party. So he took that idea of rejoicing. He took that autumn festival of harvest idea. And then he just decided he really liked the name Thanksgiving, literally just like that name. And so he tied all of those three things together and created what has now become this real myth of Thanksgiving. He created this idea that the Indians had this celebration, you know, this giving thanks celebration. They shared with the pilgrims. They helped bring them into uh, survival. They helped help their existence. They helped them, you know, continue their way of life. 
So we start establishing this myth, this this narrative of how the colonists, you know, were saved basically by the native folks. Then in 1863, here's where we get a little hometown connection. Um, President Lincoln declared the last Thursday of November as this holiday that we now know as Thanksgiving. So again, we've got this very like we've got these ideas from history um, and a, comp- a way to help create some some understanding of our past. Um, we've got a narrative that was written by a non-native person um, helping to describe this holiday. And we've got a president then that declares this as a holiday, makes this an official day. And when when this happens, you know, what we're really doing at this point is we're creating the narrative of the, like, kind of the defeated um, Indian or the defeated American West. So settlers are finding a way to identify with this idea of we go – we take Indian land, we colonize it, we take it over, and that's how we continue to gain our economic livelihood. That's how we continue to build up our wealth because we don't have to worry about those savages. We don't have to worry about those others who are less than human than us. Wow, that was that was Heather Miller on Clever Action's Zoom show, Crucial Conversations, which was the the show prior to Clever Action Radio. Did they hear me, Henry? Did I did I come in too soon? Yeah. Nice mixing there, Henry, live. Um, that was, uh, you can go watch that full episode. It's called Debunking the Thanksgiving Myth, Crucial Conversations, and it's on YouTube. Carla, I can hear um, I can hear Frick in the background. Um, uh, actually, it's not Frick. It's our brother Frack. Oh, Frack! Um, He's recovered. He is recovered from his many many um, uh, escapades. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have two black cats, Frick and Frack. They're twins. The girl is a dream. She's the best animal. She's the most amazing pet, and her brother's a menace. He um, got into the Patron um, a couple of days ago, so he was drunk. Um, so he's now, you know, he's sobered up, and now he's torturing me again. Uh, but we're back. <laughs> we're back. We're back. And, yeah, that, that, that was a, a wonderful history lesson from, yes. from Heather Miller, and she tied it into colonization rather, rather nicely. And um, before we pass the mic and, and make some way for, for Carla to teach us a little bit, we want to encourage you to call in and join us here at WCPT at 773-763-9278 if you'd like to join the conversation or you have a question. And um, we're live, and if you're alive and you want to call, we're here, 773-763-9278. So, Anthony, remember when we started doing that project on Red Island in the Blue Sea? Yes, um, I do. I do. That's what, That was our first project. Um, and we started doing this project in 2018. And I was like, 
because one of my personal artistic philosophies has been um, Americans don't know enough about history for it to be fictionalized. We're way too ignorant as a people to have fictional history. So <laughs> we have to have a baseline of fact and that, that is artistic, that is given to people. Um, a little sugar helps the medicine go down, right? So we need to find a way to wrap the facts of our existence, especially here in the Americas, um, in a way that people can understand what actually happened so we don't keep making the same mistakes. But that was 2018 and 2019. And then the panorama, which <clears throat> sped up the process of uh, us all getting on the same page because some very catastrophic things happened in 2020, not just with the pandemic, but with um, some very tragic deaths um, that were directly related to um, our history and rooted in um, the ways in which we have ignored uh, the truth of our history and tried to sugarcoat it and then we had all of those we had Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Rihanna Taylor and all that and then we had that election and we had election deniers and then we had January 6th and Anthony I don't know if you called me or if I called you but I was like come on come on Who's, who didn't see this coming who did not see this coming so that is where old colonizers came from for me artistically. It was the opportunity to um, just say, look, if this, this, none of this would have happened if we had done different things in our history when we had the opportunity to be better as Americans. And one of those very glaring touch points, where we had the opportunity to be better as Americans, and we're not, was after the Civil War. Um, because there was a moment that was called Reconstruction after the Civil War. And it was the most black people that had ever been senators and congresspeople were in, were in government. It was all of this um, idea of not of how to build a way and a pathway forward for former enslaved peoples to have their own lands and their own businesses and their own communities. But the government did not support that transition by making anyone accountable for the Civil War. So none of those insurrectionists, none of those traitors in the Confederate Army were punished. What they were, were left alone because uh, they maybe they learned their lesson, right? But what happened, there was all of these Confederates, all of these racists that were left to redefine slavery in a different way. And what we call the period of Jim Crow. So it was very interesting stuff happening between 1865 and 1925. Um, and I think 1925 is like the 
like the benchmark of the KKK. Um, but between that point, that's when all the like all this thing about Confederate statues and Confederate flags, none of that was a thing until the late 1800s, early 1900s. And those statues were built all over the South as intimidation tactics. 1919 was a tragedy because it was right after World War One, where all these people had gone to war and all of the former enslaved had come up from the South and were taking factory jobs and making money. And when these white men came back, like Red Summer in Chicago, 1919, it was other cities in the North that it happened in New York. It happened in other places in the same year where it was all of these um, riots because how dare these black people be working. Um, we know about Tulsa was 1921. Um, the, the the bombing of Black Wall Street because there were all of these black people trying to live and white people that had not been punished that had not been um, checked uh, for the treasonous act of uh, the Civil War were now creating this segregation systemic racism in a different way. It's not a conspiracy if people are really out to get you. So that's one level that we can access. And that's why I was so mad then, Anthony. I was like, and another thing. So so I did this whole thing tying the Civil War to the insurrection of 2021. But I don't think we as a people understand all the ways in which colonization has actually literally changed the ecosystem, our environment. Tell us, tell us. Fun fact. Do you know where sharks come from? I know, know I know. Sharks got to North America. I know, because I was in your class last year, too. (laughs) (laughs) So This is amazing. Hold on. Let's get Henry in here, because he hasn't been in this classroom. And he misses you so much, Carla. I do, Oh, I miss him, too. Meow. (laughs) Meow, meow. (laughs) Meow. Meow. Henry, do you know how sharks got to North America? I don't. Okay. Fun fact. Not really fun, but a fact. During the Middle Passage, the time that is marked between 1619, yeah, that point in history where white folks don't want to talk about, <laughs> <coughs> between 1619 and um, the like 1850s uh, is, what it's, is when there was slave trade, the triangle of trade, and slaves were being brought from Africa to ports in the Caribbean, South America, and then North America to where we live. Um, So when the kidnappings first started, many of my ancestors were like, F this, I ain't going. So they would 
find ways they wouldn't eat. They would starve themselves. They would throw themselves off the ship. They would do whatever they could to relieve themselves of the bondage. Um, and I'm not going to get into the history of slave ships, but that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. So, and you can read, like, there are all of these slave logs, like these ship's captains would keep these logs. There was like a, they would have these conversations about, wait a minute, how do we get the cargo to stop trying to off itself? How do we deter the cargo from trying to get free? So this is one of the tactics they used. They would bring all the slaves from the bottom of the ship to the top. And they would pick one person. And they would tie that in-captive slave to a chair. Tie them to the chair really tight. And slit them and slit their skin so that they bled from many places. Drop them off the back of the boat. And make everybody watch. And drag that body off the back of the ship. Sharks would follow the blood trail. And the enslaved would watch them be eaten by sharks. And that was a deterrent for people to jump off the ship. But what it also did was it started the migration of sharks from the southern tip of Africa to North America. Really? That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. That's so dark, too. But this is what, like, when we have these conversations about, oh, we don't want to make white people feel bad, and we don't want to talk about that, and that was so long ago. Like, bruh. There was actually, like, watermelon is not native to the United States. Okra is not native to this place. Mm -hmm. It's here because there was a period. So, the cargo... The slaves were kidnapped from not just West Africa, that's like all kind of myth, from all over the continent. And what where they were be housed is on the beaches of West Africa. These places were called barracoons. Um, these were communities where they would keep slaves for many, many months, sometimes years, until they had enough cargo, enough kidnapped Africans to fill a ship, right? To make the trip worth it. Mm-hmm. So these folks would be on these beaches for months, years, long time. And they didn't know where they were going or what it was gonna, what was going to happen. And while they were on the beaches, it was like, I don't know, the migrant tent communities we see now. So they would feed themselves and... <clears throat> Lord, Lord, cough drop, cough drop, frick, frack, do your thing. Help me, Heimlich, their mama. Go, 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 bend over a quarter of a table, will you? <laughs> Are you okay? I'm good. You know, the, and the thing is, is that it's it's this mentality that. You know, other folks who are not as white as we are not human. That goes all the way back to the doctrine of discovery in 1493, which was a framework for Christian explorers. 
to, you know, from the king and queen of Spain that basically said, when you get to these other lands, if they don't look like us and talk like us and dress like us, you can kill them, take their land, take their culture, take their language. And oh, I'm going to get to that. Oh, OK. Oops. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> so let me talk about because the white girls be mad because black girls are like, stop putting cornrows in your hair. Here's why. Back to the seeds, because I'm not coughing anymore. Okay, good, good. So back to the seeds. So they didn't know how they would feed themselves. They didn't know how they would take care of themselves. So didn't know where they were going. So what they would do is they would take the seeds from um, okra, uh, pieces of sprouts from yam, uh, watermelon, and they would braid it into their hair. So that whenever they got to wherever they were going, they would have food. Interesting. So. <laughs> That's so fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah. So this is where that anxiety comes from. Like you're, 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 a cult, you're, it's like, it's just hair. We all culturally appropriate hairstyles. But jumping forward, the same just hairstyle was used as a roadmap. A lot of enslaved peoples would braid maps into their hair and patterns to help them get free when they were running from slavery. Oh wow! I'm learning so much. It's crazy. Well, and that's it's the all yeah, and that's the thing, right, Carla? When you see someone not just appropriate, but then be so ignorant. Mm-hmm. And and not have the time, energy, or respect to actually know, you know, when you when you do your hair, and I'm not saying I have not done things like this, I have never had cornrows, but but I'm sure I have uh, been ignorant, and um, you know, um, I think there are some. Uh, clothing pieces in my 20s that really I wore I had no idea what I was wearing and and, and I would never wear those things today but 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 how do we learn well Be- what well, we stopped trying to ban books mm-hmm. we stopped trying we stopped having this alternative history um Nicole H- Hannah Nicole Nicole Hannah Jones the 1619 project and what people don't, um, and she, and that is the 1619 is the first documented slave ship to hit the, um, the colonies. I think what is now Virginia, um, or North Carolina, um, with the first, I think it was 20 enslaved Africans. So part of this, um, what Anthony was talking about, this treaty of TARDIS, um, this doctrine of discovery was they you had to be white and Christian to be on the new land, right? So the beginning of this era from 1619 to 1640, they what they when they kidnapped Africans, they would baptize them on the shores of Africa into Catholicism so they could come to the shores to work as indentured servants. So there was this hope, there was this period 
This is how you get the, when they talk about they were the free blacks. This is why there were free blacks in the 16th, 17th, 1800s. Everybody did not descend from um, actual chattel slavery. What had happened was, there was a man named John Punch. This was a court case in the colonies in that 1642, 4042. He was very good at his, his agricultural game was tight. He was very good at the land he worked. He had worked out his indentured servitude. It was time for him to be freed. He was working with two European men on the same land. They were all very good at their job. They all wanted their, they, they finished their contract. They all wanted to be let go. The white man that owned the land was like, no, I'm not going to honor the contract. I, I'm sorry, I can't work my own land, so I'm not honoring the contract. They don't honor the contract. He doesn't. The three of them run. They all get caught, brought back to this plantation, and there's a court case. And the two white men were sentenced to a longer indentured servitude. But John Punch was sentenced to a lifetime of enslavement. He was the first documented slave. And from that point, the baptism of Africans ceased. So all of you mugs that want to go, no, our history starts in 1776. Eat dirt. <laughs> no, like slavery was codified into our society before we had a constitution before the Revolutionary War by hundreds of years. And the Doctrine of Discovery was codified into federal law by the Supreme Court in the Johnson versus Emmentosh case, which was used to dispossess Native peoples of their land. And then get this, it was cited in 2005 in a Supreme Court case, the city of Sherrill versus the Oneida Indian Nation of New York. And uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, was, um, you know, she was the one that cited it in, in the majority decision. So, you know, these things that are the foundation of our systems are, are still silently, quietly, invisibly shaping the way we are with each other today. I want to end with this one because this is very interesting for Chicagoans. Hey, Henry. Hey. Do you know why you always hear bagpipes at police funerals? I actually don't. Ha ha. So this is this is where classism intersects with racism. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so Back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was famine in Ireland. And the Irish and the Scottish were not the upper crust of Europe. So, but they were white and they were Catholic. So they could come to the New World to start a new life. So when they show up, 
the rich 1% land owners have to do something with them. They can't enslave them. They can't indenture them because they're Christian and they're white. But they're still poor and lower class. So they have to give them a job. So most of them become overseers. They become the militias that are slave catchers. This is where the term paddy wagon comes from. The Irish were the ones that were charged with moving Native Americans off of their land forcibly and killing them and capturing enslaved folks that ran and bringing them back. The practice of moving, murdering, and capturing black and brown bodies was the first, were the first militias in our United States, which were the first police, grew into the first police academies and the first police departments, which is why things like bagpipes and other Irish cultural traditions are heavily embedded into every police department in this country. That's so fascinating. Yeah. And it just, you know, there's so much there like black codes. Henry, do you, have you ever heard about the black codes? Uh, maybe a while ago, but refresh my mind. The short of it is that, you know, after, um, uh, slavery was, was deemed something we don't do around these parts. A lot of, uh, states and counties in the South instituted black codes. And, you know, one example was like, if you were not deemed to be tidy, um, if you a black person walking down the street, their shirt wasn't tucked in, they could be arrested for not being tidy. Or they would go to their house, and if their bed wasn't made, they would be arrested. And then they would go to the court, and guess what? There was a court fee. If you were a defendant in a black coats case, you had to pay a dollar mm-hmm. to the court. And if you didn't have any, if you didn't have a dollar, because you just got out of being enslaved, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. guess what? You had to go. Yeah, you were mm-hmm. you were imprisoned mm-hmm. and put on on the work detail. Interesting. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just another verb. Sound familiar? <laughs> you know, and, and 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 it just goes and goes and continues on, and then you end up with for profit prisons, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you end up with certain neighborhoods that don't have. Um, Schools with air conditioning mm-hmm. or with working bathrooms or drinking fountains. And you have other schools that, um, you know, look like they were designed in Dubai and dropped into a, a perfect location right off of mm-hmm. the Magnificent Mile. Yeah. <laughs> and there were, there were things, and after... Um, <clears throat> After slavery, after the Civil War, uh, um, during the Jim Crow era, there were um, there were sundown towns and green books. And if you've watched any of the recent like um, Lovecraft Country and oh um, yeah, <clears throat> and I th- I can't remember the one that um, Regina King was in um, Watchmen. Watchmen, so good. On these things, so amazing, so good. Um, they touch on these things. 
it was there were places where in the <laughs> there are still places in this country where if you are black you do not want to be past sundown you cannot be there you cannot be there someone will kill you and it will be fine and no one will look for you so what grew out of that was the green book black folks had to map out all the places where it was safe to stop before sundown if you were taking a road trip if you were traveling had to map out all the places and where you could eat where you could rest where you could stop and not be murdered sound familiar that's so horrifying Carla, thanks so much for for sharing and educating us. You yeah, know, it, you so it, it does happen to be part of your job as the managing director of Clapper Action, a social change theater company. But white people should not count on generous people like Carla to educate us. Um, we need to do the work ourselves and become empowered co-conspirators and have the knowledge of history so that we can kind of change the way we see the world and we show up in it. And um, if you're a white person and you're listening to this and you go, yeah, I kind of do want to know a little bit more. We have a lot of content at collaboration.org on our YouTube channel. And you can always email us at radio at collaboration.org if you want to um, get a nudge in the right direction and get a little less ignorant and share your power, privilege, and influence. And I want to leave you, my, my white brothers and sisters, my co-conspirators, with this thought. Because as much as you think it's not about you, it's all about you. Because the actual color is green. Think about this. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and Robert Kennedy were not assassinated until they started talking about um, oppression. They started talking about fiscal and financial oppression until they started talking about unions, until they started talking about poor people, black, white, brown, working together for equity and parity in pay. And, you know, the thing is, we have the technology now. It's sure a lot easier to connect and share and meet and organize and communicate that's what we're doing here on Collaboration Radio as a digital platforms for our transmedia theater and film company here in Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us. That's our show. We did it, Carla. We made it. We did it. And next week is going to be even more better because I'll be 